I'm going to start with a question, actually two short questions this morning, uh, simple but maybe also complex. What is a Christian? What is a Christian and who is a Christian? These are interesting, interesting questions. Uh, we talk about these and lots of other things like this at Discover First Press, but outside of Discover First Press, I don't really hear people talking about these sorts of questions very much. Some people, I think, must have a very broad definition of Christian, and so they want to assume that almost anyone, anyone who doesn't explicitly reject Christianity or specifically claim another faith or religion, is or could be a Christian or adjective Christian, at least uh, um, by default, that may be who they are, by culture, by tradition, by custom, by family, by history. Uh, maybe most of us, one might think, by that broad definition are Christian. Others might think and hold to a very narrow understanding of what it means to be a Christian, and so... Uh, not talk too much about that, at least not openly, uh, because they may be heard as judgmental or narrow-minded or offensive, and so they don't talk about those sorts of things. Others, I think, uh, may fall somewhere in the middle, uh, maybe just haven't thought about these questions very much, though they're all around us and a part of us and among us but have never taken the opportunity to be a part of or to initiate conversations about such things. But what is a Christian? Who is a Christian? Some might say that a Christian is someone who believes in Jesus. And someone else might say that a Christian is someone who knows Jesus. Someone else might say that a Christian is someone who obeys Jesus. And someone else might consider a person to be a Christian if he or she goes to church, goes to church regularly, or is a member of a church, or was baptized as an infant, or baptized along the way at some point in life as a believer. Or maybe someone is considered to be a Christian if they give to the church, or if they are a good person, or if they do good things. Or maybe if they wear a cross, which is very common in our culture. And of course, the cross is the most recognized symbol on the face of the earth and throughout history and is inseparably identified with Jesus. Or maybe someone who quotes the Bible or who quotes Jesus or someone who studies the Bible and knows a lot about the Bible, maybe that's what makes a person a Christian in some capacity. And certainly if one has gone to Bible college or seminary or is on the staff of a church or is a deacon or an elder or who prays out loud or who has prayed a certain prayer, maybe the one that's sometimes called a sinner's prayer, that person must be a Christian. And that person must be what God wants in a person, from a person, for a person, of a person, right? We're going to talk about this for a few minutes this morning, just explore and look at some of the things that Jesus said that may pertain to these two simple questions. First of all, though, let's pray. Pray with me.
God as the choir and the band and the vocal leaders and the music and the instruments have helped set the tone for us this morning of worship and a disposition toward you, of honoring you and seeking you. Help us to continue to dwell in that reality and have our hearts shaped in that way. As we read your word together, as we listen, as we seek to be attentive to you, to your will, to your way, to your word. Give us eyes that are good to see, ears that can hear, hearts that are good and fertile soil to receive your word. I pray and ask that as my words are true to your word, that they would be taken to heart. If my words deviate from your word in any way, may they be quickly forgotten. We pray in Christ the Lord. Amen. Last fall, we fairly systematically went through a curriculum, for lack of a better term, or a course of study in which and through which we sought to learn about and to live into, not just learn about, but to live into the way of Jesus, seeking to learn from the way of our teacher and our Savior, and to walk in his steps, trusting that such was the way of his kingdom and the way into his kingdom. And the first two subjects that we discussed and explored last fall and sought to embrace in our own lives along the way were these, loving God and loving people, loving God and then loving people. When asked by religious leaders, teachers of the Jewish scriptures, uh, what is the most important of all of the commandments of God, of the 600 plus in the, what we call the Old Testament, Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. Love God, love people. And it's about the second of those that we're going to explore this morning uh, a little bit. First, listen closely as I read from the Gospel of John, starting at chapter 13, verse 31. This is the Word of God. When Judas had gone, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself and will glorify him at once. My children, I will be with you only a little longer, Jesus says. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, at least at this time, you cannot come. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I am going, again, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Then Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you, even you, will disown me three times. And in those eight verses, there is actually a whole lot going on in that conversation. Actually, they're having different conversations as they exchange words with each other at the same time. It was the night Jesus was betrayed, the night of Jesus' last supper. At the beginning of this chapter, Jesus had washed his disciples' feet, gotten down on his knees, instructed his disciples to do the same thing themselves later on to and for each other. And then Jesus predicted that one of his disciples, one of his close disciples, that was Judas, would betray him. 
And another of his 12 closest disciples, that was Peter, would deny him, both of which would happen shortly thereafter. But before either of those things happened, Jesus spoke of being glorified by his Father and spoke of going away. And the disciples began asking where he was going and if they could go along with him. And these were the things that were on their minds. And Jesus was thinking of those things, but other things as well. At the beginning of the next chapter, a few verses later, Jesus speaks these familiar words, very familiar to most of us. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house, there are many rooms. If, there, if that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. And then Jesus says in response to one of their questions, I am the way. I am the way and the truth and the life. I am the way, the truth, the life. But in the middle of all of that, Jesus speaks words that we almost miss if we're just reading through this chapter in its context. Jesus announcing his departure, Jesus alluding to what that will be like, when that will happen. They are confused, they are feeling anxious, and Jesus says, just slipped right in there, a new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples or that you are my students or that you are my apprentices. We've been using those words synonymously with the very biblical and religious sounding word disciple. If you love one another, just look around at one another for a moment. Take a pause. Don't look at me. Look around at the one another. These are the people. And while Jesus had spoken about the love of God his Father from the beginning of his ministry and along the way and told his disciples in no uncertain terms to love God back with all of their hearts, minds, souls, and strength, he had also told them in a variety of ways and modeled for them as well how to love other people. That was very much the core of his teaching for three years. It wasn't the miracles. It wasn't the fish and the loaves. It wasn't the walking on water as much as it was the demonstrating how to love people and how to love one another. And so while Jesus calls this commandment here new, it was not new in that he had not told them this before, but new because it was so different than what they had always known and how they had always ta been taught to be religious or be spiritual or be good or be right or be approved by God or be loved by God. It was so different than everything they had ever learned in their church synagogue, culture, homes before. Up until that time or at that time, in that time, people identify themselves by their religious works, their obedience to the minutia of the laws, 
of how far you could walk on a Sabbath and what you could and could not do on a Sabbath and what clothes you could and could not wear together because of the materials that they were made of and the righteousness of God and what food you could eat and what food you could not eat by their religious works, their obedience to the law, by their position and reputation and pedigree and achievements. Imagine growing up in a world and in a religious culture like that. And some of us have in not so extreme ways. But in the midst of his confusing departure and then his stunning arrest and conviction and horrifying crucifixion, Jesus says that through all of this and after all of this, Love one another. God is love. You have been loved. Live in that love and live out that love. And as you do, people will know. They will pick up. They will see. They will recognize that you have been my students. That you have learned from me. That you are walking in my way that you love one another. Funny things happen in times of crisis, and this John 13 was certainly a time of crisis. Funny things happen in times of crisis and confusion and stress and fear. I don't know if you're physiologically aware of what happens to your body when you get afraid or stressed out. Are, are we aware of what happens and how we start to behave do you become more loving when you get stressed out? Does anyone here become more loving? When you become anxious and confused? Are your default responses in those times, oh, just to love people and generosity? But in those times, people may struggle to even love or especially love the people to whom they are closest. Differences surface People get under one another's skin. Feelings get hurt. People see things differently. Human nature takes over. Pride and greed, self-interest, disregard for the needs of others. Is it true? I saw this weekend in a very large gathering of extended family, at times people's stress levels and stress levels at each other at times go up. And the words come out, and the expressions come out that we're not necessarily loving. It can happen among the best of people and the closest of people. And Jesus says that people will know that you are my disciples, that you've been trained by me, that you've been in my school, that you've gone to my academy that you've learned from me if and as you love one another because love is Jesus' most defining characteristic or mark. The defining mark of a Christian or a disciple or follower or student of Jesus is not going to church and not singing well and not knowing the Bible and not holding a position and not praying a prayer and not spiritual confidence and not possessing big faith and not speaking well and not holding a position and not even believing. The reformers are rolling in their graves. 
Paul wrote to the Corinthians that in the end, faith, hope, and love remain. You remember that, chapter 13? And the greatest of these is hope. The greatest of these is faith. The greatest of these is love. Interesting. As I have loved you, so you must love one another, church, disciples, students. And Jesus loved his disciples. When you think about it, he was remarkably patient with them. He was kind to them. He was generous toward them. He showed them mercy. He provided for them. He shepherded them. He empowered them. He forgave them. He gave his life for them. That is love. The English language so inadequately expresses or translates the idea here of the Greek word love, which refers not to romantic love or even to nice, sweet, kind feelings, but to a commitment and to a will and to action. Love, C.S. Lewis wrote, is unselfishly choosing for another's highest good. Let that sink in. Throw out everything you've thought about love before. And when we see the word love in the scriptures and on the lips of Jesus, love is unselfishly choosing for another person's highest good, what is best for them in that moment and over the long haul. To love someone is to extend oneself for another's highest good, to have in mind for another person what is best, to actively seek to actively seek what benefits another, to encourage, support, help, aid, bless, provide for, serve, empower, to rescue, to save, to redeem, to deliver, to uphold, to pray for, to wait with, to bear with, to suffer with, to empty oneself for another, for others, as Jesus did as our teacher did, as our role model, as our example did. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. That's our memory verse uh, this morning. You'll get a little card like the one that's not in my pocket on the way out from the ushers this morning that says those words. Let's say them right now as we begin to remember By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And this is not a passive aspiration. It will not happen on its own. It does not. We do not fall into love. And that language is actually familiar in our world, our culture, our history, our lives, our experiences falling in love. And people fall in love, middle school students, high school students, college students, young adults, older people sometimes fall in love. But falling in love is actually a sick reason to get married, according to the scriptures. What the scriptures instead call us to is an act of the will, a commitment, devotion, a covenant to love, even if that's on top of, 
falling in love. We do not fall into biblical love. It is not a passive aspiration. Rather, to live in the way of Jesus means getting up off of the couch, carving out time, going out on a limb, seeking God's kingdom, mustering up courage, giving of ourselves, trusting God, wishing others well, and seeking others best. Having celebrated Martin Luther King Jr.'s birthday on Monday and over the course of this week, having remembered his life some, may we be instructed by these of his words. An individual has not started living until he or she can rise above the narrow confines of his individualistic concerns to the broader concerns of all humanity, one another. And this begins, Jesus said, with and among his own people. It begins in the smallest circle. You can't do it universally if you can't first do it with the people right around you, in your family, your household, your family of faith. And you know that sometimes one's fellow church people or even one's brothers and sisters in Christ can be, sometimes it feels like, the most difficult people on the planet to love. And especially those who are, well, special, those who are particular those who are dogmatic or who don't have enough solid doctrine, or those who are super spiritual or always right or who complain or have strong opinions or who take but never give or who push for change or who are always opposing change or progress or who don't follow the rules or those who are obsessed by the rules. Lord have mercy. I love this wisdom from the 12th century French Benedictine abbot, William of St. Thierry. He wrote, we have an obligation as, as people in Christ, not only to love each other, but also in our love to make ourselves as lovable as possible so that it is easy for our sisters and brothers to love us. Have you ever thought about that? Wouldn't that be great if the people you just looked around at had a commitment to make themselves even just a little bit more lovable than they are, and how much easier that would make your job in obedience to being a student of Jesus. I think it's just a novel idea, and it's 800 years old. I am thankful for and sometimes just, just deeply humbled by this congregation. By those in our midst who by God's grace have progressed in practicing the way of Jesus' love quietly in our own midst daily. And this week, I see stuff, I'm aware of stuff that maybe people don't want known. But of those of you this week who visited the sick and visited those who were stuck in their homes and who made meals and delivered meals for people in need and who made people's homes more livable, who made other people's homes easier to get in and out of or possible to get in and out of, all in the name of Jesus, in the way of Jesus, Someone has written, people were created to be loved, things were created to be used. The reason why the world is in chaos today is because things are being loved and people are being used. 
Conversely, as the esteemed psychiatrist and Christian Dr. Carl Menninger wrote, love cures people, both the ones who give it and the ones who receive it. Love cures people, deeply, profoundly, psychiatrically, spiritually. Love cures people. God is love. Love cures people, both those who give it and those who receive it. God has called us in Jesus and shown us the way in Jesus and empowered us through his spirit to love in Jesus' way and to love one another and to be part of the cure. It's all the same word in Greek, salvation, healing, wholeness, cure. To be part of the cure of the world and for the world. And the world is watching, people are watching. They watch and they wonder and they look and they seek. I snapped this photo yesterday of my three daughters standing in front of the big side of this building painted so beautifully with the word love, and it's not a church. But wouldn't it be wonderful if it was a church? Wouldn't it be wonderful if churches were not only painted with the word love, but also emanated love, radiated love, and not religion? but love in the sense of unselfishly choosing for another's good. And if that was the case and all else being equal, I think more and more people by the grace of our sovereign God will be drawn into his life and drawn into his love and drawn into his kingdom today and forever. Should not the church, this church, First Baptist Church, Hillsdale United Methodist Church should not the church be the most loving place in town. When we get out our phones and say, Google, look for the closest gas station, look for the closest restaurant, look for the most loving place in town, Vroom. should go to First Presbyterian Church. It should go to Grace Lutheran Church. Should go to St. Matt's Catholic Church. Vroom. On the front of your bulletins and on the welcome cards this morning are these words, interesting, from Sean Bolts. Jesus is not impressed by our success in anything other than in love. I'm not even sure he's impressed by that, but if he is impressed by anything about us, it is in and about our success in love. And so closing with these words from William Gladstone, we look forward to the time when the power to love will replace the love of power. We look forward to the time when the power to love will replace the love of power. Then will our world know the blessings of God, and the blessings of peace. May this be so. Let's pray. Left to our own God, we would not have in our brokenness, fallenness, and depravity come up with the ideas of love and about love and what that looks like that you did, that you are, that Jesus lived, that Jesus taught and modeled, that Jesus encouraged We would have come up with something else that would have been broken, that wouldn't have worked, that would have led our world into a mess, our homes into a mess, our communities into a mess.
Teach us to love, help us to love, beginning with one another, the people around us, the people closest to us. Give us the will, the intent, the desire, the hunger. Help us to deny ourselves as you in Christ Jesus were crucified. And bring about your kingdom of love, God. Bring about your kingdom visually, around us, as well as within us. Make this body First Presbyterian Church, despite all of our foibles and challenges and idiosyncrasies and differences, make us more and more into people who profoundly love one another, our brothers and sisters in Christ, and all who will enter here and all with whom we interact. For your glory and for your delight and for our joy, we pray in Christ the Lord. Amen.